Good morning, EFC. Wow, you guys got quite the first time this time. You can make your way in from the foyer and trickle in from the back, take a seat. It's always a blessing to be in the house of the Lord and gather together. I'll start out by reading some scripture. This comes out of Psalm 34, verses 1 through 8. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and deliver them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful to be able to gather here in this place of worship freely. We thank you for the opportunity um, to be encouraged by your word, encouraged by fellow believers. I pray that um, we would leave today encouraged we would taste and see that you are good. We would feel that encouragement throughout the week. Um, Allow these songs and this message uh, to be glorifying to you and to strengthen your people. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand with us as as we sing about the wonderful grace of Jesus. Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than the mountains, sparkling like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me, broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus, praise his name. the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than the mountains, sparkling like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me, broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame, oh magnify the precious name of Jesus, praise his name. Grace of Jesus, reaching the most. 
Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than the mountains, sparkling like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me, broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame, oh magnify the precious name of Jesus, praise his name. became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness he humbled himself and carried the cross love so amazing love so amazing Jesus Messiah Name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah. Lord of all, his body the bread, his blood the wine, broken and poured out, all for love, the whole earth trembled, the veil was torn, love so amazing. Love so amazing, Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners. The ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. All our hope is in you, all our hope is in you, all the glory to you, God. You're the light of the world, Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, 
rescue for sinners, a ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, Lord of all, Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. So this, this next song is uh, it's a song that we've, we've done once before, but it has been a while. So sing along if you know the words, otherwise join in when you can. Oh, praise the name Anastasis. And as we learned yesterday, Anastasis means resurrection for those of you who are wondering. <laughs> Cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands and feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound. And drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. In endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Then on the third at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. O oh, trampled death, where is your sting? The angels were free for Christ the King. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, our God. He shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night. And I will rise among the saints, gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. 
in endless days we will sing your praise oh lord oh lord our god oh praise the name of the lord our god oh praise his name forevermore for endless days we will sing your praise oh lord Oh, Lord, our God. Please be seated. Good morning, church. It's time for everybody to uh, take out their bulletin if they'd like to know what's going on in the life of the church. Uh, I'm here to maybe talk about why you're here. Why are you here? Hello, those at home. See, you didn't even have to be here today. Hello, those at home. We are mainstreaming now, right? Or live streaming. What's it called? Live stream, right? Everybody knows I'm not a very uh, tech, techie guy, but I have I am thankful for the uh, for the live stream. So hello everybody at home, thank you for prioritizing your time to uh, meet with us. And for those of you who are watching a little later, thanks for for getting it in there. And uh, God bless you in your uh, in your time today, whatever day that might be. There are a whole bunch of things going on in the life of the church right now. Um, Orville Christian School is going to be having their fall festival. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever been to a fall festival. Kids, kids have a great time, but uh, volunteers have a great time too. I volunteered for my first time last year, and I'm looking forward to doing it again this year. And this year is a special year because the church and the school, the, the, the school is a ministry of our church, and we're trying to show this the parents and the families of this school that we're, we're vested and we need some volunteers. We need some volunteers to just help with the game booth, but uh, really we need some help barbecuing. So if you don't really like to be around the kids, you can just go up to the grill and uh, barbecue some hot dogs. And they're not allowed. They're not allowed there. Sorry. Thank you, Sandy. They're, they're not allowed there. The kids are dangerous. So they can't bug you. You can just, and you can watch and have a great time. It would be a blessing. We need some help. If you're looking for, uh, for if, if that's interesting to you, Alyssa Bell is the person to get in contact with that. And honestly, folks, this is going to be a cool fall festival, I think, this year. Um, a lot of good things are happening at the school and the church right now. It's, it's an exciting time. And as we all know, education is an important thing. And we see the controversy and the public school systems and praise God that there's a place here where truth and education can be taught. Okay, uh, there will be no, uh, oh, during the 11 o'clock hour, there will be no pastor's class today. Um, Andrea Bamford's going to be meeting, I think, in here, talking about uh, her recent trip to um, Ireland. So she she did a lot of things and and learned a lot of things, and she wants to share a lot of things with, with everybody. So all the Sunday school classes will meet in here on the 11 o'clock hour today to hear uh, what Andrea's got to tell us. Next Sunday, October 17th, 
we are having our next congregational family meeting. I know everybody's excited about that, and we're all going to be here. And if you're online, if you're online, you need to check in however that works. You won't, <laughs> but I'm sure if you're online, you know how to do that. And the women's ministry, you know, they're doing some cool stuff. There was some stuff going on here, going on down here yesterday with the ladies, and it's, they're doing some great things. And they, they want to invite you on an easy time of fellowship. It just says here it's an easy walk of fellowship and discussion. So just get together, go for a walk, have a talk. That's going to be uh, Saturday, October 23rd, at 9 to 11 a.m. King's Men. Okay, so i got to clarify something here because I'm, I think I'm in this one. <laughs> so it says the Wednesday evening dinner and Bible study. All are welcome. This isn't some exclusive Kingsmen thing. This is just something that some of us guys that go to the Kingsmen meetings uh, decided to start doing. And right now we're going in, we're studying in the book of Colossians. There's five of us. And we have pizza and salad and, and time in the Word, and it's a good time. You're, you're invited until it gets too big. You're at five. We can go 12 or maybe a little more than that. And please join us. It's been a great time so far. And then the Kingsmen actual meeting, so see, this is the confusion. We've got to work on this. But the Kingsmen actual meeting, the large group gathering, is going to be on Tuesday, October 19th. Okay? And that's going to be from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock here. We have dinner. And I've heard rumors, guys. I've heard rumors that we might be playing some cornhole. So if you like to play cornhole, it's a real tough game. You throw the corn in the hole. And that's all there is to learn. And it's really not about a game. It's about getting, it's almost like that easy walk. And so join us for a time of fellowship and worship and some time in the word with Mark Bates. If you enjoy uh, the time of fellowship in between service, we need volunteers for that. Uh, making coffee, gathering snacks, we need some volunteers. So uh, we, need, we need some help in that area if we want to continue that. Go. Otherwise, it just won't happen. And I'm sure we all like that time. Awana's underway. It's going well. Um, from what I hear, uh, Tim Giordano uh, and the Giordano family actually have been in charge of that for a really long time. So um, I'm thankful for the Giordanos. My kids all went there. Uh, it's a, it's, it, it teaches kids biblical truth and, um, and, it, and teaches them at a young age to build their character in the Lord. And uh, my kids all went there. It's a, it's a great thing. Um, it's not too late to sign kids up. If you've got maybe a niece or a cousin or a neighbor or something, it's not too late. They're still taking, taking kids, and I'm probably pretty sure they'd take kids all year. The offering box, it's in the back. If you want to make a specific offering, you need to get one of those blue envelopes and just simply write on, put your offering inside and write on the blue envelope whichever ministry you'd like it to go to in the church, okay? And I think that's all I've got for announcements today. Now it's time for the good stuff. Today's uh, invocation passage is Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let us pray. Oh, Father, thank you so much for the, for the blessings and the mercy that you show us here in our congregation. We confess, though, that we're, we're sinners. I'm sure we have not loved you as we should and served others as we should. We've held back from trusting you completely. We confess we are sometimes maybe a little bit scared, upset, or selfish, self-seeking. But may the blood of Jesus cleanse us. May your grace empower us. For your kingdom's glory. Help us to know you more, Lord. We need to know you more. And we pray for a revival in our church, a spiritual awakening. We need to know you more. May the Lord stir in our hearts to confess our sins. We need to know you more. May we turn from our wicked ways and our things that we hold so precious to us, and may we seek your face more. We need to know you more. May our church grow in holiness, unity, joy, and sacrificial service for one another. Father, this month we've been praying for Linda Reed. We pray for her as she ministers to those in the county jail. We pray that she would go with the gospel in hand but also in her actions and in her speech and in her sincere love for those people that need it. May she share the hope that she knows in you with those who are hungry, starving for something good. Pray for the Pioneer Fall Festival so we can celebrate what God is doing here as we celebrate harvest see it and celebrate. May we connect better with the, with the families of Orville Christian School. Father, we know that they all need you and, you know, maybe some of those folks, they're not going to church all that much. They don't come here. Where are they going? Help us, Lord, to show them your goodness and your glory and your love and your kindness pray for Awana as they begin their new year. They need help in that ministry, Father. I pray that you would send some help their way, maybe. There's always room for help in Awana. pray that you would bless it. And like a ministry at Orville Christian School, that Awana would touch unchurched family members and kids with 
You know, they have to bring a friend now. Father, prepare those kids and their friends for that bring a friend now. Thank you for Juan. Thank you for that we can worship here in this, in this land. Thank you that we have the freedom to meet here and praise you and read your word and sing and fellowship. Thank you. There's some places in the world where we can't. Father, we pray for the persecuted churches in China, North Korea, Iran. Oh, Father, so many places in the world where our, our brothers and sisters are. Don't find themselves in an underground cave. Father, I pray that you would strengthen them. That you would be their shield. That they would submit to you in your ways. That you would hear their prayers and meet with them. That you would empower them. That you would bring down those evil things that people in this nation such a problem. Pray for the leaders of Oroville, Butte County, California, and of the United States of America. Father, we, we, ha we are a nation that needs healing. So we ask you to heal our land, to get rid of this fear and anger and uncertainty and division and deception and that's the wrong focus anyways thank you that we're a member of this we're a members of your kingdom and this United States of America needs healing we ask for your help father and our pastors Father, I pray for Brian, Greg, and their families, that they deal with a difficult time. And I thank you that there are people in the church who are willing to step up and fill in and cover things so that they can cover their own things. Pray that you would be a blessing on their families, that you would bring them peace. I pray for the widows left behind in these two lives that you took home. Pray that you would strengthen them as they grieve the loss of their spouses. I pray that they would lean on you and that you would give them peace. pray for a lot of our homebound folks. Maybe you find yourself in the hospital at home today. We pray for you. Father, there are some who haven't been coming here very often. We miss them. They may have their own reasons. Some of those reasons are probably good ones, but maybe some of those reasons aren't. But I pray that you would stir in the hearts of, of 
folks that we've been missing. I can think of a few. I miss you guys. Father, stir in their hearts. We bless the offering this morning. Father, you have blessed this church greatly. You never cease to impress the wealth part. You always provide. Thank you for your provision. I pray for the sermon today. And Pastor Greg, come up and bring your word. May it be true. May we prepare ourselves to pay attention, to listen, to not be distracted so that we can focus as a congregation on your scriptures as one body of Christ. It's in Jesus' name. you could please stand and sing this next song. Um, at this time, children are dismissed.
nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Please be seated. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you here in the house of the Lord this morning. Just a couple of things before we get into our time in the Word. I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, but I want to bring it up again. We want to emphasize again those signs of growth. And even as we look at next week of having our congregational meeting for the members of our church, we want to invite you, if you have not yet become official member of the church to consider doing so. We have applications out in the foyer. You can talk to one of the deacons. They'll put an application in your hand, a way where you can show that you are committed to us and to what we are doing here at EFC. At the same time, we want to make baptisms available for those that have not yet obeyed the Lord and going through the waters of baptism, come and see me, and we will arrange a time to get together and schedule a baptism service to and just a reminder then of the congregational meeting next week after this service during the 11 a.m. hour. Thank you to those of you online for joining us this morning. It is good to have you here, but we would like you to be physically here. And so just as soon as you get the opportunity, we look forward to having you back with us. But we're glad that we can communicate with you uh, online. You know, in an age of smartphones, security cameras, smart appliances, online surveillance. Never has it been easier to film and record the actions of everyday life. Whether walking into a bank or a grocery store or putting gas in the car, the chances are very good that all of us show up on a camera somewhere several times every day. Private security systems and home monitoring devices are checking what is happening around us on an ongoing basis. And that could be a daunting thought, perhaps a bit unnerving. But it does point to a greater truth, and that is the all-seeing eyes of God are watching over us wherever we go, whatever we do, and with whom we are doing it, being recorded for his holy inspection, and he will bring us before his tribunal one day. Now, for the one who is in Christ, we have just sang a wonderful song that he is all our righteousness. And if it's true this morning that you find that you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that's a source of comfort and grace that God sees you wherever you are. Because he sees you through the proverbial sun, S-O-N, glasses, sunglasses. 
But if there is one within the sound of my voice this morning that is not sure that he is at peace with Christ, or if there is one who is harboring a rebel spirit in his heart about the things of God, this is and indeed should be a bit unnerving. Because we know that we will render an account one day for how we have lived. And so that leads then to an opening question that I have as we begin our time in the Word this morning. To whom or to what do you draw attention in your life? If we were able to have access to the technology that records your life in an ongoing basis, what would we see as the focus? I mean, really the focus. Is it a certain pattern, a certain habit, behavior, or passion, a certain person, perhaps even yourself? In his book, Your Father Loves You, James Packer quotes James Denning saying, You cannot at the same time, make sure I've got this going here, okay? All right, got to work on it. The quote is, you cannot at the same time give the impression that you are a great preacher or theologian or debater or Christian or whatever, and at the same time that Jesus Christ is a great Savior. If you call attention to yourself and to your competence or to your needs or to your supposed accomplishments, you cannot effectively call attention to Jesus Christ and his glorious sufficiency. Well, in our message this morning, we're going to take a look at the first few verses of the book of Hebrews. And you know, for many months, we went through a long and intensive study of the book of Judges. We learned a lot. We came face to face with the reality and ugliness of human depravity, and it pointed us to a great Savior, as all Scripture ultimately does, as all the law and the prophets ultimately do. It draws attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews takes great pains over 13 chapters to draw attention to the greatness and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Now, since we're not even sure exactly who the human author was, there's a discussion on that. But the fact that we don't even know for sure who the human author is, that makes it all the more attractive that at least 13 times he tells us that Jesus is better. That whatever had come before was good. But in Jesus, we have what is better. Jesus is better than Moses, better than Joshua, better than the prophets, better than the angels, better than the priests, better than the Old Testament sacrifices, better than the previous covenant. Jesus is just plain better. And it is our hope as believers today that Jesus, who came to be the accomplishment and fulfillment of all that was in the Old Testament, can become more and more of a reality in our lives today. You know, the book of Hebrews gives a clear example of how the early church, the apostles, the first Christians, understood the Old Testament in light of the New. Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians who had seen in Jesus the fulfillment of all that they had hoped for, but under the pressure of persecution, under the pressure of loss of social standing. They were tempted to go back to the old ways because with the new way, there was pressure, there was judgment, there was the possibility of prison and even death. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, wait, stop. 
put the brakes on. There is nothing that you can go back to that is better than what you have in Christ. Once you have the fulfillment of something, you can't go back to the signs and shadows that point forward to that something. Now, we're not going to begin a new series in Hebrews today. Perhaps under the providence of God, one day we will. As I said last week, we're anticipating a study in the book of Ruth, that book that was happening at the same time of the book of Judges. But in a for a couple of weeks anyway, we will do a couple of standalone sermons. And I hope this morning as we draw closer to the Lord and looking at what he has to say for us in these first few verses of the book of Hebrews, we'll see who he is, who this Jesus is in a deeper way, in a deeper light, and what he wants to do in our lives. Now, if you are able, I invite you to stand as we read just the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 1. And guys, I'm just not getting it to work down here. So if you have your Bibles open, just follow along with me as I read the first three chapters of Hebrews. First three verses, I'm sorry, of Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways... God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, Father, as we turn to your word this morning, we are a hungry and needy group of people. We need a fresh touch of the grace of God. We need a fresh touch of the mercy of Christ, a fresh touch of the power of God, the Holy Spirit. And so would you guide us and lead us this morning as we study this word, and would you cause all of our attention and focus and desire to be lifted upward and behold in a greater way this great Christ who came to be our Savior and who reigns today as our Lord. Oh, Father, would you have it be so as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, as we look at our first major point, as you follow along in your sermon outline, going to have two major points this morning with some sub points and if you have your copy of God's word open it's just going to fall straight out of the text the sun is a greater revelation now we're going to look briefly at what's going on in verse one and part of verse two and then we'll explore in deeper deeper measure what's going on in the rest of verse two and in verse three but the first thing we see is that long ago God spoke that's the key thing that the writer wants us to know, that God has always been active with his people. He has communicated with his people so that they would know things about him. He has not been a silent God. He has not been an inactive God. He communicated with his people in creation. He spoke with Adam and Eve in the garden. He spoke all throughout the history of Israel. And the author of Hebrews has no doubt this morning that God, the living God, speaks. He doesn't even try to prove it. He just asserts it. But then he tells us how this great God has spoken. And the first thing we see is that he has spoken at many times and in many ways. At many times and in many ways. 
Indeed, as we look at the scriptures, we see that God spoke through the time of the patriarchs. He spoke through the time of the kings. He spoke through the time of the prophets. In fact, over 3,300 times, just in the Old Testament scriptures themselves, we have an expression like, the word of the Lord appeared unto the prophet Jeremiah, saying, or the word appeared to Malachi and said, or more commonly, thus says the Lord. Over 3,300 times, we see that God spoke at many times and in many ways. He spoke through dreams. For example, when he appeared to the men that were in prison with Joseph in Genesis 37. He appeared in visions when he spoke to the prophet Daniel in chapter 10. He spoke in theophanies when on Mount Sinai he shook the mountain as he revealed himself in the covenant. He spoke through angels. He spoke through direct speech. And once even spoke in a still small voice. Prophet Amos in chapter 7 verse 25 says that God is always Chapter 3 and verse 7, I'm sorry, says that God has always spoke to his people through the prophets. So he spoke at many times and in many ways to our fathers. This means that he spoke to the fathers of our faith. We see that more clearly if we were to study the book of Genesis. In his book of origins, he spoke to Adam. He spoke to Enoch. He spoke to Noah. He spoke to others. In the chapters that follow, he spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and many of the others. And he spoke by the prophets. Can you tell me what I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to just give a signal? Okay, I'm on the side button. Okay, all right. Sorry, we're just, uh, we're learning a new program this morning, and I'm a slow student. He spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And you see that falling right out of the text. The prophets, those men of God that God set apart for a specific purpose to speak through the power of the Spirit, to give specific messages to specific people at specific times. We've taken a little time to go through some of the prophets, uh, Malachi and Hosea, and one day, Lord willing, we hope to get through all of them. Now, what was going on during all this time as God spoke in many times and in many ways to our fathers by the prophets? This was real revelation that was going on. God was revealing something to man that man could not know otherwise. It was not an inferior revelation because it was coming from the same source, and that was God. And whenever God speaks to whomever he speaks, however he speaks, it is always true. It is always trustworthy. But the writer of Hebrews has a purpose here. He's moving us forward in his argument so that we will see as great as the revelation was in the past. We have a greater revelation now. It's what we call progressive revelation where step by step down through the ages, God revealed who he was, what his plan was, what he was doing, what he was moving everything toward. And of course, we know it was moving toward the coming of the Messiah. And so we have the expression, in these last days. But in these last days, it's a sign that a new order, a new era has come. 
in these last days is biblical language which speaks of a multitude of prophecies that were given all throughout the prophets that would be fulfilled in the days of the Messiah. And we know now on this side of the cross that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of these prophecies. And so in biblical language, in these last days, refers to that whole period of time between the first coming of Christ and his second coming in glory. That is what Paul meant when he spoke to the church in Corinth. It gives us the idea then that for 2,000 years we have been living in these last days because Christ has come and the world is getting prepared for Christ to come again. But see what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example. He's talking about the history of Israel. He's recording and saying what's happened to Israel. And as he writes to the church in Corinth, he says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. There's certainly more that could be said about the end times or the last times. But if our focus is taken away from anything other than the fulfillment that comes in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're missing the main point of Scripture. Because Christ is the fulfillment of all of the hopes and dreams and visions and prophecies and predictions. And he is the consummation of history. And so as great as all of those things were that were before, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. For the writer of Hebrews, the fulfillment is now here. Whereas God spoke through prophets before. In fact, the term that says through prophets is how it's in the original language. And here it literally says, now he has spoken through a son. What was coming before prophets before is now coming through a son. This is not to say that God has many sons. What the writer of Hebrews is doing here is showing that a greater means of revelation has now been given to us. Before we had dreams and we had visions and we have prophets. Now we have a son. Those older means of revelation were useful. They served a purpose. But the better one is here. Better than any revelation or dream or angel or vision. And so it's appropriate then, and then in the English Standard Version in our Bibles, it says, by his son. It specifies, particularizes. It is through the son. The son who is the ultimate expression of the word of God. The son who is the ultimate manner by which God speaks to mankind. Now it's interesting. We don't have time to tease it out, but you can check it out for yourself. For the first chapter and a half or so of the book of Hebrews, the writer talks about the son, the son, the son, the son, the son. But he doesn't give the name. He doesn't give the name until chapter 2, verse 9. And so I, I'm not going to wait till chapter 2, verse 9. I'm going to interpose using the son and Jesus so that we know exactly who we're talking about. But the writer of Hebrews was teasing out a very deliberate argument so that the early readers would understand exactly what he was getting at. With Jesus, the writer of Hebrews wants us to know, all of the promises of God now find their yes in him. As Paul reminds the church, as he writes in Corinth, chapter, two, chapter 1, verse 20 of 2 Corinthians, for the promises of God find their yes in him. 
That is why it is through him, Jesus, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. It's fitting with the theme of the book of Hebrews. That whatever came before was good, useful, helpful, truthful. But Jesus is better. He's just the greater revelation. All that is really just backdrop and introduction, although we took it as our first major point. That brings us to the second major point then that we'll look at, which is the greatness of the Son. And here we're going to spend some time now looking at what the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand about the greatness of this Son. And he's going to give a seven-fold description of the greatness of this greatest revelation of God. And under the inspiration of God the, God the Holy Spirit, my prayer this morning is that you will track with what's going on in the Word of God. Look at the phrases that are there and see what the implications it will have in your life as we see this breathtaking description of this wonderful son. Now, the writer of Hebrews surely did not ever hear of a man named Stephen Curtis Chapman, a contemporary Christian musician. But he certainly would have agreed with the words of a song that Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote about 15 years ago, make much of you. I have some, just a few of the words here on the screen. I want to make much of you, Jesus. I want to make much of your love. I want to live today to give you the praise that you alone are so worthy of. And I pray that that spirit would guide us this morning as we see who this Jesus is. And maybe you've been in church for a week, and maybe you've been in church for much longer but I pray this morning you will be captivated with a new and fresh vision of the greatness of this Jesus. And let your heart be set aflame. Because as we've been reminded in recent days, life comes to an end here on earth. And we will soon be in the presence of God. And what will we be doing in the presence of God but beholding the face of Jesus? And worshiping him and praising him and serving him and adoring him for all of eternity. And let's get a head start now. Let's be captivated by his majesty and his glory. The first thing we see as we look at the greatness of this son is that he's been appointed the heir of all things. As the one and the only son of the father, he will inherit everything from the father. And the word that is used here is appointed. We could translate it as determined. It was something that God decided. The son would inherit everything. And I believe here we have a reference to the Old Testament uh, promise given in Psalm chapter 2 and verse 8. In which God the Father declares God the Son to be the anointed Messiah. And even turns to the Messiah and says, ask of me. And I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. The son as the heir is seen in the idea that all of the promises of God are ultimately fulfilled in him. He is the one who will receive the ultimate inheritance. And this inheritance is cosmic in its nature. It goes beyond just the realm of this earth. But includes the entirety of the universe. It goes beyond just the present time. It's the present time and all the times of times of times that are to come. Now later on in chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews is going to develop this more where he will say that the Father will put everything under the feet of Jesus. And we look forward to that day. 
and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But for now, for today, for our lives, we can rejoice that he has been appointed the heir of all that was and that is and that is to come. But for us today, knowing that the son will inherit inherit all things, including us, as redeemed objects of God's grace, how will that affect how you will live your life? Knowing that you're part of the inheritance that Jesus is going to receive. Do you want to be received as fruitful and faithful inheritance? Because I sure hope you don't want to be received as a feisty and insolent one. If he is truly the heir of all things, including those he has redeemed, it matters how you live today. Secondly, this Jesus who is the greatest of all is through whom all things were created, through whom also he created the world. How can the Son be qualified to receive all things? Because he is the one through whom all the universe was created. The word literally here is the ages. It's inclusive in its scope. The late British scholar F.F. Bruce says that the phrase wants us to see that the whole created universe of space and time is met, is meant by this verse. The Son is the agent of creation and thus can rightly be called the creator of all that is seen and unseen. God the Father chose an eternity past to work through God the Son to bring all that exists in the universe. He's the agent of creation. We see this affirmed in many times in the scriptures. For example, in a passage we just read a few moments ago, as Paul writes to the church in, Col- in Colossae, chapter 1, verse 16, he says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. The Apostle John, as he writes in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 3, says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And Paul will write again as he writes to the church in in, in Corinth, and he says again, Yet for us there is one God the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. This Son the creator of the universe and as such he will inherit what he created and what he redeemed the creator will inherit the creation and the good news of the gospel is that the creator of the universe entered into that universe in space and time in order to redeem a people for his eternal glory the fall of man And his stubborn heart does not have the final word in the situation. The son will redeem all that was lost in the fall and sin. And will inherit it for his eternal glory. That includes people. That includes creation. That includes our relationship with God. He will redeem all that was lost. So this son is the creator of all. He will inherit all. And think of the excitement the writer of Hebrews has as he is writing and pleading with his people who are tempted to go back to something that's inferior and saying, do you realize what you're doing? The one who is the heir of all things, through whom all things are created, 
He wants his people to get swept up in the excitement of who this son is. So what does that mean for our lives today? Well, if Jesus is the one through whom all things were created, then he is your creator. And how will you treat his creative son? How will you see him in relationship to yourself? That matters how you live today. Thirdly, the sun is the radiance of the glory of God. In his ministry on the earth, the sun was the manifestation of God's glory upon men. We're told that he radiated the glory of God to all who were around him. Now think about it. The sun shines upon the earth. Well, in a very real sense, the sun, S-O-N, shone the light of God upon the earth and revealed the hearts of men and women. We see this confirmed in John chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Look at the word closely. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Later on in John's gospel, we're going to talk, Jesus is going to talk about what it means that in God, in his perfection, he is perfect in all of his attributes, in his wisdom, in his goodness, in his beauty, in his holiness, in his truth. And the sun is the radiance of that glory on earth. And so the sun shows us what the Father looks like in that beauty and wisdom and youthfulness um, and truthfulness and goodness. And that is why Jesus could say, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Because the Son reflected perfectly all that God is. Now glory is also seen often in the Old Testament as a sign of God's presence or divinity. This happened all throughout the Old Testament. The glory of God was seen on Mount Sinai as the law was given. The glory of God was seen in the tabernacle in the wilderness as the people gathered and encountered God. The glory of God was seen in the temple of Solomon as, as it was filled with the divine presence and power. The glory of God was seen on Mount Carmel as Elijah confronted the false prophets of Baal. And the glory of God was seen in the sun as he came upon the earth. John 2.11 says that the sign that Jesus performed revealed his glory. And as he got towards the end of his earthly ministry and is about ready to go to the cross, he prepares the people for what is to come. And in his prayer in John 17, he says, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This writer of Hebrews wants us to understand that the Son not only reveals God's glory, but shares in it. Well, knowing that Jesus reveals the glory of God, that he's the perfect expression of the glory of God, how will you live differently? Because as you walk with Jesus as you are supposed to do, day by day under the power of the Spirit, as you walk with him and he empowers you, the glory of God should also be seen in your life. Is that true for you? 
But let me ask a more fundamental question. Do you even desire that? Is your heart laid open? Do you really desire that your life will reflect the glory of God? For the one who is in contact with the Lord, his heart just pulsates. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Whatever happens, it's not about me. It's not about my situation. It's not about my problem. It's not about my big idea. It's about you and your glory. And would you just, as the all-wise God, work and reflect through my life that your glory would be seen. For the Son is the radiance of the glory of God. Fourthly, the Son is the exact imprint of his nature. Now here the writer of Hebrews is, He's, uh, he wants us to understand the words. The Greek word here for exact imprint, you're going you're gonna to recognize it, character. It means in the original language the exact representation or the exact impression. When you think about when you take a stamp, whether it's made of rubber or steel, you press it into paper, you press it into cardboard, you press it on a document, you have an exact likeness of the stamp or the exact likeness on a coin. That's Jesus. He's the, the ultimate meaning, the character of God, the exact representation of his nature, of his nature, this Word, the, the Greek word is hypostasis, and in the history of the church, this has been a word that has been discussed because the early church, as they're trying to figure out who is this Jesus, because he's unlike anything else in all of creation. What did it mean that he is like the Father? Did it mean that he's like him in a similar way but somehow different, or does it mean he has the exact nature of God? The writer of Hebrews settles it. He has the exact nature of God. And this discussion has been down through the ages, and we need to learn from brothers and sisters that have walked before us because they help us to understand what this means. And in the fourth century, God led the church to have a church council to discuss who exactly Jesus is. And they put together a creed that is called the Nicene Creed which gives a firm declaration of faith of who Jesus is. And I just want you to read, you can see it on the screen here, just the important part that would concern what we're looking at in Hebrews this morning. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one being, hypostasis, one being, the same nature of God, through him all things were made. Means that what God is in his essence and in his nature is revealed through this son. Can you hear how radical this idea would have been for first century believers? To see the son is to see what the father is like. We've already talked about list of different attributes, whether it's holy or loving or truthful or kind or compassionate or just. That is the father. And the Son is exactly those things as the character of God. When Jesus was teaching and interacting with the 
his enemies, the Pharisees, in John chapter 5. He gives a great defense of who he is. And he says, why is the son the judge and the creator and the discerner? Because in chapter 5, verse 23, it is the desire of God the Father that all may honor the son. Listen, just as they honor the father. For whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Do you see that? Jesus is making a great claim. Just as you honor the father. Father desires that you honor him. Now, this became a verse that I used in my evangelism over many years working with Muslims. Because Muslims want to deny that God had a son. They want to deny the Trinity. And I would say, well, that's what you say. But I want you to hear from Jesus himself what he said about himself and what the father said about him. And I would read the verse. I'd say, so you are facing a choice that will affect your eternal destiny. Will you honor the son as you honor the father? Because if you dishonor the first, you dishonor the second, and you are lost. Because he is the exact imprint of the nature of God. How do we show honor to God the Father? We obey him. We adore him. We listen to him. We have fellowship with him. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And so we need to do those exact same things to the Son. The Son before whom we've already said one day every knee will bow and confess that he is Lord. And that will be done to the glory of God the Father. Have you bowed the knee to the Son? If you have not, I plead with you this morning, while you still have breath, in your heart, cry out to God and say, forgive me a sinner because of Christ. And I bow before Christ as Lord, and I want to honor him just as I honor the Father. Because the truth remains, for every person who walks this dust, we will either confess Jesus as Lord and Savior now, or we will face him as judge later. It's that simple. The greatness of Christ, according to the writer of Hebrews and according to the writings of John, is that all are to honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Next, we see that he upholds the universe. By the word of his power. Don't let the familiarity of these words trip you up. This is transformational. Not only is Jesus the agent of creation. The one through whom all things were created. He is the sustainer of creation. He creates and keeps all things going. We saw that already in Colossians 1. Let's take a look at it again where it says. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He's actively involved in creation. Now, I love to learn about creation. All aspects. Medicine, science, nature, human history. Because the more I learn about these things, the more I see the divine hand of God directing and controlling everything. And so my heart is continually like a child. What new things am I going to learn today about this God who holds all things together? 
means if Christ lets go of the universe for a nanosecond, we're done. Everything explodes out of our He's the one who upholds all things by the word of his power and the power of his word. And in Genesis 1, God spoke and it was. And who is the ultimate word of God? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he upholds, Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. So think for a moment about those that we know that blaspheme Christ or that deny him. The very one who sustains them, who gives them their very next breath, they use that breath. To deny his lordship. You think it's going to be easy for them on the day of judgment? They will find that it is a terrible thing to be in the hands of a powerful God. And what does that mean for us today, my friends? If the Son upholds the world, all things, by the word of his power, is he not able to uphold you right now? where you are, in your situation, in your difficulty, with that person, with that challenge. Do you believe it? You're taking that as word? You're surrendering to his sovereign power that he upholds all things by the word of his power? Next we see that he is the one who makes purification for sins. Now, if you look at the study of man, look at the study of mankind, religions are all over the place. And one of the common things of, of religion is how can we appease God or the gods? How can we have purity and, and be clean before these gods? And the writer of Hebrews will spill a lot of ink in this letter about what it is that Jesus did. And he'll talk about what the Jews were trying to do to get purity before God through their sacrifices and their offerings and their, their priesthoods. But now a better priest, a better sacrifice, a better covenant is here. Now he just mentions it here. Remember, this is just the introduction. He's preparing his people for an outstanding letter. But certainly as he uses this phrase, making purification for sins, he would have had in mind Leviticus 16 and the Day of Atonement. On that day when the high priest would offer animal sacrifices on behalf of himself, cleansing the temple as it were, and then also for the people. But those sacrifices, the writer of Hebrews will tell us, did not actually put away sin and did not actually cleanse the conscience. They just covered the sin pointing to a greater redemption that would come that would actually remove sin from the human heart and from the conscience. And so later on, then he will write in Hebrews chapter 9, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of creation, we're talking about the heavenly tabernacle, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Think of who we're talking about here. The Son, through whom all things were created, the sustaining force in the universe, is also the one who provides purification and forgiveness for those he will redeem. I don't know about you, but my limited mind can't quite wrap around all of that. 
It just surpasses me. That the very one who sustains me is the one who died for me, offering himself for me, and then now is sustaining me in my redemption and is praying for me at the right hand of the Father. I want us to be overwhelmed with the greatness of God. Don't flatten out Christ. Let him be rich and deep in who he is because that's who Think about if he went to this level, the one who sustains you, the one who created you, the one who wants, who is your redeemer, and he's gone to these lengths to cleanse you and purify from you from sin, how can you turn around then and just willingly sin back in on him? The one who calls you to be as he is, holy. And lastly, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Again, we have an amazing promise. Why? Because in the Old Testament, the, the high priest never sat down. There was always one more sacrifice. There was always one more ritual. There was always one more feast. There was always one more, one more, one more. That's why it tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, every high priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But this high priest, after making purification for sins, sat down. So verse 12 says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He finished the work needed for the redemption of those he came to save. And that gives new meaning when he cried out, it is finished. Once for all. He was a better priest, a better sacrifice, one that was good for all time. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father, the place of honor, the place of majesty, the place of respect. And this comes from Psalm 110, the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. And in this psalm, we have an image, as it were, a glimpse into the inner workings of the Godhead. Where we see Yahweh, the Lord, God the Father, saying to Adonai, the Lord, the Master. In Old Testament language, we have the Father saying to the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It's a psalm of enthronement. The Son who reigns over all and sustains all has provided atonement for those who believe and now is exalted over all and is granted the highest place of honor so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. I began my message by asking a question. To whom or to what do you draw your attention? I think the writer of Hebrews would have us give a better answer. But an awesome description of the majesty and divinity of Christ. A seven-fold description of the nature of who he is. And an argument for his greatness as the one through whom God speaks in the best way. Through whom the promises of God are fulfilled. Through whom all things were created. Who will inherit all things. Who is the exact representation or essence of God and upholds every atom in the universe. As you reflect on these words, 
Luke, what's on your mind? I invite you to join with me in joining the writer of Hebrews in making much of Jesus in our daily lives. Is there any greater privilege that we have? And so as we respond to the word of God this morning, we're going to do something just a little different. I'm going to remain up on stage. I'll move to the side. And we're going to have a song playing by Stephen Curtis Chapman, making much of you. You have the words in your bulletin. Maybe you've not heard the song before. That's okay. Meditate on the words. Meditate on the meaning. And use this as your prayerful response to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. And then when the song is over, I'm just going to come back and give the closing benediction. And we'll go off for the rest of our day. You ready? How could I stand here and watch the sun Where they touch the sky, I ponder the vastness in the depths of the sea, and think for a moment the point of it all was to make much of me. I'm just a whisper, and you are the thunder, and I want to make much of you, Jesus.
at 11 a.m. Andrew Bamford will be here to give us a report on what she did in Ireland. Let's be here to support her as I thank you for her service. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us go in peace. Have a wonderful Lord's Day.